wonder if you feel that way about your own children. Watching the children up here uh, singing and telling us the real story of Christmas makes you remember when your children were small and that desire that you had, almost a passion for, for them to never grow up. I had uh, several parents tell me after the first service that uh, that really is true. I mean, you see them, they're so beautiful and they're so cute and uh, even their mistakes are darling. And, and you look at that and you say, oh, I, I hope you never grow up because we know what's ahead of them in a very difficult adult world. We um, one of the first children's programs that our family was a part of was when I was in my first church in San Diego and uh, Tyler at the time was four years old. And of course, the first group out are the little ones, just like we did today. And Tyler was up there and he had his costume on and they were singing away in the major, probably the only song those kids know and uh, singing away in the major. And then halfway through the song, uh, it was one of those few times that I was sitting in the audience because I was I didn't have to be the pastor that night. I was just a dad. And so um, Tyler came halfway through the song, came running down, jumped up in my lap and everybody, everybody went, oh, isn't that cute? And then he threw up all over me. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so cute then. But uh, but but you know what? Uh, we, we see our children. And we say, oh, man, I, I hope they never grow up. Just just stay little. Well, let's let's pray as we open the word. Father, we know that we can't stay little forever. Even though we'd like to, even though we think it would be fun to be childlike all of our lives. But Father, we know that that's not what we're called to do. And Lord, we're also very grateful that there was another one, unlike Peter Pan, who did grow up from a manger in Bethlehem, from a tiny, beautiful, perfect baby. He grew up to not only be a wonderful prophet, the Messiah, but he grew up to be my Savior and my Lord. He grew up to be the Savior and Lord of, of many people in this room today. And for that, Father, we are very thankful that he did grow up. So, Father, now I pray that as we open the word of God, that you would open our hearts. That you would help us to see the truth in the story of the manger. And even though we just love to long, long to stay there and and minister there, we know that what really mattered was that Jesus grew up and that he became the savior of the world. Thank you, Father, for that good news. And may that ministry and may that word be a blessing to our hearts today. Lord, I just invite the Holy Spirit to move among us now and to teach us from your word. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, 1904, December, 107 years ago, Japan was beating up on Russia in the Russian-Japanese War. The World's Fair was wrapping up in St. Louis after a visit from President Theodore Roosevelt. The Wright Brothers' flight, performed just a year earlier, had not received much coverage, so people were still wondering if, if this air travel thing would ever get off the ground. Then all of a sudden, a flying boys appear. A flying boy appears. Who is he? 
Yeah. <laughs> See, in my notes, it says the congregation will say in one loud voice the answer to this question. OK, uh, who is the name of that boy that appeared 111 years ago? Peter Pan. Yes. In December 1904, the classic character pops up on a London stage in a play called Peter Pan or the boy who would not grow up. The play turned into a novel a hundred years ago in 1911 and later an animated film by Walt Disney and then followed by many television musicals, live action musicals, movies, many to follow. It became one of the classics in modern American literature. The story goes like this. Peter invites a girl by the name of Wendy to travel via fairy dust, of course, to Neverland to be the mother of his gang of lost boys. Now, many adventures unfold, including with Peter's arch enemy. Captain, Captain 12 of you should more than 12 of you should know this story. Captain Hook, but in the end, Wendy decides that the best place for her is back home with her family. Looking in on Wendy after her return, Peter knows that he will never experience the happiness of growing up with a mother and a father and a brother and a sister. Uh, From Barry's original screenplay, here's a quote. It is just, it is the one joy from which he must forever be barred, end quote. Peter Pan was never going to grow up and have a family like most children. And then years later, Peter returns to see Wendy again and is shocked, literally, to discover that, well, she's grown up. In fact, she's a mature woman with a daughter of her own. Peter's frightened by the sight of her. He's never seen an older person before and, and utters a cry. And Wendy says, in response to Peter, Peter, I am old. I am ever so much more than 20. I grew up a long time ago. To that, Peter replies, but you promised not to. And Wendy says, I just couldn't help it. Then Peter sits down on the floor and sobs, not able to accept the fact that Wendy grew up. Peter is destined to be forever. And that was the title of the original screenplay or the original play. Peter was destined forever to be the boy who would not grow up. It's interesting that Barry's original play was to be released at Christmas time in 1904. It seems odd, at least on the surface, that this doesn't seem like a Christmas story that it should be released on Christmas. But when you think about it, what better time of year is there to consider the boy who did grow up? Jesus Christ. It gave us something to believe in besides Santa and fairies. And I'm with you. I love Santa and fairies so that we can chant with the best of the lost boys. I believe I do. I do. Now, this is the interactive part of church. Okay, get ready. Okay, let's say it together. I believe I do. I do. We love the Christ child in the stable. We love the crash scene. In fact, uh, back in 1981, I was a uh, uh, pastor in, in San Diego. I got the idea to buy Sherry the original a starter set of the Precious Moments crash. And if any of you have that, it's a it's a little um, stable 
baby Jesus in a manger, Mary Joseph, I think a couple of angels, and I think a Christmas pig. I don't know where that got from. But anyway, so you had the starter set, and it was a little crash. And then my intention was, every December 1st, I would buy Sherry another piece to that crush set, which I have done steadfastly for the last 30 years. Only about five years ago, they ran out of pieces. I mean, our buffet is covered with, you think there was three wise men? Oh, no, no. There's at least a dozen wise men. And camels all over the place, and there's shepherds that you can't believe, and angels tooting their horns. It's just incredible. It fills up our whole buffet. We love that story. We love Jesus in a manger. We love the angel chorus singing, the shepherds kneeling, the magi worshiping. We love this. But the truth is, Jesus is the boy who did grow up. And for that, we are ever grateful. Now, there's an interesting part of the Christmas story that takes place after the Luke 2 passage. Some of you maybe have never heard this part of the story. But I want to read it for you today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. And if you don't, we've got it in the sermon notes and also on the screen. But um, I would love for you to hear this part of the Christmas story that takes place after the birth of Jesus. This is the word of God. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard Jesus was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, and she said this in a very motherly way, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth and with them, with them and was obedient to them. Oh, the kids aren't in here. I was going to tell them to pay attention. They were, he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Isn't that a beautiful story? Now, just as I've read that text, some of you are saying, wow, I, I, don't, I remember that part of the Christmas story. I guess he did grow up. I mean, sometimes we think that Jesus jumped from Luke 2 to Luke chapter 4, where he was uh, a, a, a grown man, 30 years old, baptized by John, and now facing Satan in the desert. But he did grow up. Now, there's something magical about Peter Pan. And there's something wonderful and magical about the baby Jesus, too. A life of adventure and fun without a single adult responsibility. I mean, after all, Jesus was born into a loving, nurturing family, 
I mean, what would you how would you like it if you were a baby and a, eventually a toddler of two years of age and you were greeted by songs of angels and adoration of shepherds and later gifts were brought to you by Persian kings? I mean, you would think you were just the hot stuff. And a lot of our kids think that about themselves these days, don't they? An awesome childhood he had. You would think that Jesus would say, you know what? This childhood gig is pretty special. I don't want to grow up. I want to be like Peter Pan. I want to be a child forever. But it wasn't easy to grow up, was it? I mean, that trek back to Nazareth, that was a pretty long journey, especially with a two-year-old boy. Everyone looking at Mary and Joseph kind of askew, you know, like, oh, yeah, they said they weren't getting married. They said they were virgins. But, yeah, here they come back two years later, and there's this two-year-old boy. Brothers and sisters that Jesus had later probably thought he was a weird kid. I mean, can you imagine some of the parlor tricks Jesus did as a child growing up? You know, hey, watch this, guys. You know, I mean, this was not an easy childhood. Everybody was looking at him, wondering, who is this kid and what's he going to turn out to be? Well, he did grow up. And his reception to the world was not very kind either. I mean, who wants to be like Wendy? At the end of the Peter Pan story, when she sits, quote, huddled by the fire, not daring to move, helpless and guilty. It's a bittersweet moment in the story when she says, oh, Peter, don't waste the fairy dust on me. We all as adults, we all have felt that way at times, haven't we? We felt like the fairy dust passed us over. Those joyous days of childhood and those wonderful memories of childhood of kind of turn the corner into responsibility and sometimes discouragement, lost dreams, even lost hope. But when Wendy says this, oh, Peter, don't waste fairy dust on me, you kind of go, ouch. I mean, that that hurts because we know that growing up does bring some of those moments that are difficult. There doesn't seem to be much magic in maturity. As As for Peter Pan... Let's saying that being stuck in childhood was not only fun, but it, there was a definite di- downside as well. He became a victim of what some people have coined the phrase the Peter Pan syndrome, or, as it said in the early play of Barry, a refusal to grow up, to settle down, and commit. Now, do you know any people like that? I mean, we all know people. We're thinking in our minds of people that maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 years old who have refused to grow up, to settle down and commit. But in contrast to Peter Pan and the Peter Pan syndrome, we see in our text the life of Jesus. And that's exactly what Peter Pan didn't do. That's exactly what Jesus did do. He grew up, he settled down and he committed. Let's look at that this morning. He grew up, Luke 2.52 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, uh, the the journey from Jerusalem to Nazareth. Now, the Jews from Nazareth uh, came to Jerusalem at the Feast of the Passover. That was what they were required to do by law. And so many people traveled from uh, Nazareth to to where they were in, uh, uh, excuse me, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. 
So all of these people were there, uh, this great throng of people. And when the caravan of people going back to Nazareth was ready to go, they loaded up their their uh, their, you know, uh, their chariots and they loaded up their trailers and the U-Hauls and all that. And they loaded all their stuff and they headed back for Nazareth. Now, it's not unusual. You first at first blush, you say, now, how come they didn't know that Jesus was missing? Well, he was 12, for one thing, and they're probably saying, uh, I don't mind if he's gone for a day or two. But but beyond that, uh, there was a lot of family and relatives traveling with them and friends, and it was pretty normal for a kid to stay with his buddies and stay in their, uh, carav- their part of the caravan and not see him. But after a day, they decided that, well, where is Jesus? We don't see him. And when they searched through their whole assemblage, they decided that Jesus was left in Jerusalem. So they went back. So a full day out of Jerusalem, a full day back. And the Bible says they didn't find him until three days, which means it probably took them a full day once they got back to Jerusalem to locate where Jesus was. Because they didn't find him where they thought they'd find him. They thought they'd find him, you know, playing in some of the fountains or climbing up trees or something like that. But instead, they found him in the temple. It's amazing to me that Jesus' response was received the way it was. Luke 2.49 Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, mom's mad. You know, Mary's chewing him out. How come you didn't tell us? Why didn't you tell you? When you get home, your father's, you know, and just the whole thing, you know. And he said, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? For Jesus, growing up, was about finding his purpose. And his calling in life. It wasn't about Peter Pan syndrome. It wasn't about having fun and adventures all day. It was about discovering his purpose, his calling on life. How about you? Have you grown up in your faith? Have you discovered the calling and the purpose that God has placed on your life? Peter Pan never grew up. His purpose was fun and Joy and irresponsibility. There's a, a wonderful, um, uh, I read an article on the Internet this week about two uh, marketers by the name of uh, Becky Edenkamp and Joff, uh, Jeff Oborn, who coined the term Peter Pandemonium. And they did it when they noticed in New York City, uh, 20 and 30 something young people kind of uh, gravitating towards places that had things that reminded them of their childhood. For instance, a bleak, on Bleecker and West 11th Street in New York City, uh, they stand patiently outside the Magnolia Bakery waiting for their fix of yellow cupcakes with chocolate icing and sprinkles. Man, that's gold, right? We know that. The, the cupcake thing is, is all about Peter Pandemonium. We all are going back to our childhood regarding cupcakes. And there's another place in New York City called Dylan's Candy Bar. Twenty-somethings loiter about Pez dispensers and giant lollipop trees. Now, these two marketers, Becky and Jeff, have coined the term pa- Peter Pandemonium, and they describe it this way. People in their 20s and 30s are clamoring for comfort in purchases and products and sensory experiences that remind them of a happier, more innocent time. Childhood. We all kind of long for that childhood experience um, and and that that thing that just made our eyes light up. uh, Disneyland for the first time or that that yellow cupcake with chocolate frosting and sprinkles and Wow, wouldn't it be great to be there again? Now, we criticize 20s and 30s all the time. I mean, that's one of the things I do. You know, my kids are in their 30s. But it's about all of us, isn't it? 
In fact, for most of us that are a little bit older, the two most popular shows of the 80s and 90s were Seinfeld and Friends. Permanent adolescence, every one of them. I mean, they never had a purpose or a goal, completely self-absorbed, locked in high school mindset of eating dry cereal, watching vast quantities of TV and video games, and hoping to make ecstatic sexual scores. I mean, that was the continuous theme of Seinfeld and Friends. And as a nation, we ate it up. We loved it. I mean, we still don't know what Kramer did for a living. I mean, we have no idea. But even sadder than people that just watched that, wondering for a time of what it was like when we were children. I believe there's a lot of people lost in what I would call spiritual neverland. Peter Pan Christians. Oh, they're alive. I mean, they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, maybe when they were a child or a teenager or even an adult. And they heard the words that when you allow Jesus to come into your life, you have your sins forgiven. Your life is going to have a purpose and you're going to spend eternity with God. Now, those are some great perks. Those are some awesome things. Who wouldn't want that? I mean, who wouldn't want to accept that? Man, I love that. I'm, I get my sins forgiven and, and I get to go to heaven and my life's going to have a purpose. And we get that, we receive it, and then we just don't grow. What's up with that? Christians, what is it with us that we want all the perks, but we don't want the obligations of, of growing up as a man or a woman of Christ? I had a friend in high school, his name was Steve. And Steve and I grew up, we were in the same church and went to the same high school. We played football together and we were very close until we left high school and went our our different directions. But um, Steve was one of those, just like me, that was very sincere uh, young boy. When I, I gave my heart to Christ for the first time when I was nine and then every week thereafter for the next 10 years, just to make sure, you know, you know, I, I wanted to make sure I got locked in. But as Steve was the same way, sincere, and he gave his heart to Jesus. But then as we got to be teenagers, Steve's path and my path went kind of different ways. Uh, he went the way of the world and was always looking for the next high, the next sexual experience, the next whatever. And I was trying to follow God and be a Christian. And, and I asked Steve about that. I said, I said, how can you live that kind of a life and call yourself a Christian? He said, because I am. I'm a Christian. And once I'm a Christian, I'm always a Christian. That's the only downside of that doctrine, right? Cheap grace. You know, I, I'm a Christian and I can do whatever I want. And I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm, I'm in the club. And I, that, that's, that's, a, that, that's a Peter Pan Christian. That's someone who's in a spiritual neverland. That's someone who refuses to grow up as a child of God. We have to be very careful in our lives of wanting to remain Peter Pan Christians. The Bible tells us that we are called to be fully devoted followers of Christ. We are called to, to love the things that God loves and to hate the things that God hates. We're called to be light and salt in the world. We're called to make a difference. We're called to have a purpose. We're called to have meaning in our lives, not just to go around and have all of these wonderful childlike experiences all of our life. How sad is it? And I've seen these people, 85, 90 years old, on their deathbed, and here's their legacy. Well, I had me some good times. God forbid that that's us on our deathbeds. I hope we can say God gave me a purpose and he gave me something to do and something to be. And I failed a lot, but to the best of my ability, I grew up into Christ. 
I daily wanted to have the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. And I became a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Jesus grew up and discovered his purpose. And that was to be the savior and redeemer of mankind. Luke 19.10 says it this way. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Does not say the son of man came to parte. The son of man did not come to have a good time. The son of man did not come. And all those things were part of his life, of course. But he had a very specific, distinct purpose to save those who were lost. Put in that sentence to save those who were lost your name. He came for one purpose to save Dwayne, who was lost. Jesus focused on his purpose. And you have to ask the question of yourself this morning, brothers and sisters. Do you know your purpose? Do you know why God has planted you on this planet? Do you know why you're still taking in breath? Do you know what God has called you to do and to be? You know, we did uh, when we first moved into this building nine years ago, we were I was doing a series. This was popular back in the early 2000s um, from Rick Warren's church, Saddleback, uh, the purpose driven church and the purpose driven life. And it was a great study and it's really wonderful material. But when you reduce all of that stuff down to what is my purpose, really? It's very simple and it's very profound. Here is your purpose. If you don't know, if you're a child of God, if you're growing up into Christ, here's your purpose to love God. And to love people. You do those two things well in your life. You put those two things at the top of your list. The top of your Christmas list. Every year. God, I want to love you with all my heart. And I want to love people in my life. As in the same way I love myself. And that's a lot of love. (laughs) To love someone the way you love yourself, right? If you want to know your purpose. God's purpose for you in your life. You love God. And you love people. Peter Pan didn't grow up because he had no purpose. Jesus did. How about you? Well, in order to avoid the Peter Pan syndrome, there's something else that Jesus did. The Bible says that he settled down. He settled down. Not with a wife and kids, despite what you read in the Da Vinci Code a couple years ago. Blah, 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 right? The family that he talked about was not settling down with Mary Magdalene and having a bunch of kids. No, instead, it started in Jesus' life by the calling of the 12 disciples. That was his family. And then his family grew to 500 and then 5,000. Then he disappeared, went up into heaven. When Jesus was pressed uh, about his family and who was his family and how to describe his family, this is what he said about his family. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and obey it. You want to be in Jesus' family? (laughs) It's not a matter of bloodlines or how many kids you have, grandkids, great-grandkids. It's who in your life, in your world, loves Jesus, obeys him, and hears his word. Now, that's the group that Jesus settled down with. That's called the Church of Jesus Christ. It's called, of one of many, Hope Covenant Church. The family that you settle down with, that you use your growth and maturity and your love and your accountability is with the church of Jesus Christ. For Jesus, he settled down with 12 and 500 and at the end of the first century, 100,000 Christians. And today, rough count, 2 billion 
people that claim the name of Jesus worldwide. We are part of his family. And we are charged to carry forth his family values. Now, these family values are not what the politicians talk about. His family values are very clear. It's this, to hear the word and obey it. That's Jesus' family values. If you're a Christian, and if you're growing up in your faith, that's your family values, to hear his word and obey it. Now, God bless you. You're here. Most of you are here every Sunday. Uh, some of you are in Bible studies, small groups. So you're hearing the word of God, and that's great, and that's a beginning, and that's wonderful. But are you obeying it? Are you growing up into your faith? Are you settling down into the body of Christ where you are not only giving your gifts to minister to the body, but you're receiving accountability, you're receiving teaching, you're encouraging each other? That's what it means to settle in to the word of God, to settle in to the church of Jesus Christ, to hear the word and obey it. Mother Teresa said it this way. Every day, every day she said, she prayed, I prayed to be filled with Jesus. Now, that's a, that's a grown-up. <laughs> that's an adult. Every day, I prayed to be filled with Jesus. Not every day I pray for a productive day at work. Nothing wrong with that. I pray that my kids won't kill each other. You know, I pray that I'll get a new car. You know, those are all fine things. But a grown-up prays, Lord, how can I love you and serve you? How can I hear your word and obey it? Today, Martin Luther King said it this way. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Do you want to know what it means to grow up and to settle down in your Christian faith? It means to love God and love people. It means to be the light of the world. It means to be salt in a place that needs flavor and savor in the world. It means to have the mind and the heart of Jesus. It means to grow up and to settle down. Now, there's one last thing, unlike Peter Pan, that Jesus did, and it was this. He committed. He committed. At his baptism, he received the gift of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of his father. He went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan and I don't know that this means anything, but as I was writing this, and you've probably thought of this many times, Satan, all you have to do is change one word and you have Santa. But that's a whole other story. I, that, I didn't want to say that when the kids were in here, but I, I don't know. I still love Santa. I don't know. You know I'm not going to play Santa this weekend, but I love Santa. So, but, but guided by the word of God, Jesus committed to healing the broken, redeeming the forgotten, and saving the lost. His love of commitment, his level of commitment to his purpose was clearly seen on the cross when his hands were outstretched with nails to them through his feet, when he was dying on the cross for your sins. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And he said, This is what I will do for you. Into my hands, Father, I commit. Talk about commitment. My spirit. Why did he do that? Because he died for your sins. Every sin that you've committed, he felt on the weight of his shoulders. And when he committed his spirit to God, he was committing your sin to the cross so that it would be simply redeemed, simply wiped away. Jesus Christ called out in a loud voice, Luke 23, 46. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now that's commitment. We... Um, 
way back when I was ordained in Colorado Springs in 1979. Um, as we were praying and all of the, the ordination candidates were on our knees, uh, mostly men, but there was some, a few women in that group, too. And uh, the people came up and laid their hands on us. And I remember the prayer that was prayed that day over us. And it was a prayer of ordination and it was a prayer of commitment. God, these young men and women have committed their lives to you. They've committed to preaching the gospel. They've committed to uh, giving the good news to the poor, to reaching out to the brokenhearted, to ministering to those who are in need. And over and over again, he used the word commit, 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 commit. To this day, 30 years later, to this day, I remember my calling was about any, a lot of things, but my calling was about commitment. I've had people ask me, said, Dwayne, why, why are you a pastor? And some of you may be wondering that right now. And, and, but, but what I tell them is I never really want, I never wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be an engineer. I was an engineer. I was a good engineer. That's what I loved. But God had a different plan for me, a different direction. And, and, and sometimes those people, you know, they say, well, I, I don't understand why you do what you do. And I explain to them about my love for God and all of that. And, and, and I said, well, bottom line is this. I've staked my life on for the last 30 years. I've staked my life on the fact that this Christianity thing is real. If it's not, I'm the biggest fool around. I'm the biggest jerk there is. I've wasted my entire life doing something that doesn't work, that doesn't exist. I made a commitment when I was 16 years old to God that my life was his and he could do with it whatever he wants. Even at 16, I was learning what it means to to grow up, to settle down, to commit. When we do grow up, we learn what it means to give our very best to God. Now we know that commitment's a problem for a lot of people today. And again, we again we very happy to make fun of twenty somethings there in the back room, so that's okay. They're not listening. And you know, about how they're you know not growing up and all that. Well, we did the same thing when we were their age. So for, let me give you an example. Uh, take Barbie. It's, it's not the twenty somethings' fault that we have Barbie, right? It's our fault. Nineteen sixty one. Did you know that she turned fifty years old today? Uh, not today, this year. By the way, she looks pretty good for 50, right? Yeah, just saying, you know, Barbie. So here, here, here's Barbie. In many ways, Barbie is quite grown up. She looks grown up physically, right? But she's had 80 jobs on her resume, ranging from dentistry to paleontology. But is she afraid of commitment? According to Fast Company magazine, Mattel Incorporation has announced that after 50 years of dating, Barbie and Ken have agreed to be just good friends. I say, what's the deal, Barbie? And he can't commit? 50 years, she still hasn't made up her mind whether she wants Ken or not. But how many times are we as Christians like that? 50 years old and we're still trying to decide if we're committed or not. I I love the perks. Give my heart to Jesus, going to heaven, you know, all that good stuff. My sins are forgiven. I love the perks, but we're still figuring out what it means to grow up into our faith. I don't want to be a Peter Pan Christian. I don't want to be a Barbie Christian. I want to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Someone who grows up. Someone who settles down. And someone who commits to Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, friends, but this is a word for me as I've been thinking about Christmas and gifts and all that and seeing the grandkids and all. All those things are good things. But I'll tell you what I want this Christmas. And this is what I'm asking Santa for. 
I want to grow up even more. I want to settle down into the church of Jesus Christ even more. And I want to sign up. I want to commit. I am, you know, for the last 30 years I've been a pastor. Maybe I could do something else for the next few years. But I'll tell you what, I'm signing up again. I love to do what God has called me to do. I love to do the purpose that God has called me to do. And that's this. And it's the same purpose for you. To love God with all your heart. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Christmas is about. Let's don't be Peter Pan Christians. Let's don't be Barbie Christians. Let's grow up. Let's settle down and let's commit this Christmas season. Would you bow your heads with me, please?